Welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. Advice, thoughts, and stories from a married couple on cybersecurity, technology, and life in general. Now here are your hosts, Didi and Latal. Hello, and welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. It's another week. Hello, Didi. How Hello. are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Why? Because <laughs> playoff season for Omri is starting. So at hockey. Least, exactly, hockey. So at least, we get, hockey. at least we get rid of one burden. At least at the end of this week, we'll know if his team wins or loses. They beat every team that's above them in the standing. They lost every team that's below them in the standing. So I cannot wait to get my weekend back. We're getting that in April because he still has states and he still has a whole bunch of I others. love weekend without hockey. hockey. I love it's this is why up. I love but this is why <laughs> I love hockey. It starts in September. It ends well never. Yeah, we have a great guest with us today. So glad to have you. Hello, Ayelet, Ayelet Bigger-Levine. Been a ride here, and I'm so glad that you finally joined us. I, we, we said we wanted to have you from day one. Aww. And we bring a lot of friends and like people that we know, and I feel like you have probably know each other forever. So, yes. welcome. Yes. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. I, actually, I think we've been, all of us, through a lot together. Yeah. yeah. So we moved to the U.S. at same the same week. week. Yeah. You worked together at the time at RSA yep. Security. So yep. we've been through the relocation, immigration experience together. Yeah. The first survival year with yeah. the kids and trying to get them acclimated. And, the and snow, ourselves. blizzards, Oh no my, school. do you remember the concert? Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh, we can tell it later. <laughs> you can tell it now. I, mainly, I'd like you to tell it now because I get to say, I told you so, which is the, <laughs> the most fun thing a parent can do. Well, when we just moved, Ayala told me we need to go see Coldplay in a concert at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Right. And she's like, it's a short road trip. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Let's get tickets. And we bought the tickets for December Yeah, it was 30 yeah. 30th. It was my birthday. 29th. <laughs> Without 29th. him. Without you. Without it was me. just the, the two of us. And he was like, yeah, take the road trip. And, <laughs> and I was tw 20 weeks pregnant. Correct. And first snow, first time driving in the snow For, yeah, ever, ever. Ever. And it was a blizzard. Blizzard that we didn't realize how bad it's going to be. A two-hour drive turned into five it was, we got to the concert on time because it started really late, but it was a very, very long scary ride. Scary ride. And a scary one. And I have videos where I just, oh, it was yeah, crazy. It was crazy. The concert and we was couldn't awesome. go back. <laughs> we couldn't go back. So we spent the night in a motel. Yeah. It was an adventure. I didn't make it to your birthday. Yes. It yes. was fun. I, I had to spend the night. It, trying to talk to the hotel to accept yeah. you guys. Yeah, because and of the blizzard, nobody wanted to I never back. really properly thanked you, so thank you for finding a place for, for saving our lives. And, yes. and, and now you have a beautiful daughter. And and the fact that I made you take the Infinity, plug Infinity, that, that actually <laughs> it knows... It was the, the, the safest car to get the, when yes. knowing nothing about uh, driving. But, you know, since then, I know how to drive in the snow. So uh, no, you don't. I, I feel ready. Uh, no, you don't. He's lying. <laughs> every time. So every as they time. say, everything ends up being an adventure to remember. Exactly. Absolutely. A learning experience. A learning Absolutely. Experience. And we try to keep things safe. Exactly. 
sort of, kind of. <laughs> kind of. So, Ayelet, I, I, I want you to take us through your kind of like journey, a little bit about career and stuff. And then we'll talk about the fun stuff you're working on these days because you have a podcast. You are now an entrepreneur. Really exciting stuff. Emerging, yeah. Emerging, <laughs> yes. Sure. So I I will be happy to share a little bit about my career, but let's not go all the way back. Let's start with maybe around the time I met you, I guess. Yes. The beginning of the career in cybersecurity. So we met at RSA Security, where we both worked together in Israel. You and came back from maternity leave, right well, in the smack middle of... <laughs> That big Th- project. That's another baby. <laughs> that's <laughs> yes. my first. Life is babies. That's like... <laughs> so right. I started RSA Security 2008, and my focus was fraud detection and enterprise identity. Actually, throughout my career at RSA Security, I spent 11 years there, and I transitioned between fraud protection, working with financial institutions to protect the online banking sessions, and I work closely with you on enterprise identity, protecting access to organizations, which you're still doing today. Yep. And it was a really, really interesting transition back and forth. I also transitioned between a lot of different roles. So most of my time at RSA Security, I was in product management. I would say about eight years between fraud products, fraud protection products, and enterprise identity products. And then I also transitioned to professional services, working very closely with customers, understanding their problems, challenges, escalations, and then transition to product marketing, which is a completely different and a turn. But I think that's where I find my, found my passion because product marketing, and I'm sure you'll connect to this, allows me to really connect the true value messages from the technical side, which I'm very passionate about, to, wow, from the technical side, <laughs> the marketing the value to the customer. Absolutely. So, when yeah. you tell them why they should buy this and why it will help them. And, and I, I think to me, I, I really, I come from engineering background. I'm, I'm really kind of a geek in, in, in nature and I really like to understand things. So I really like to understand their problems and I ask questions deeply to understand. So it helps me connect the technology properly to that. And then after 11 years at RSA Security, I felt like I need to get a different perspective of the security landscape. And I went to work for Biocatch. And Biocatch is focused on fraud detection with technology called behavioral biometrics. And we'll talk about fraud, I'm sure, a lot more. And I really enjoyed my time at Biocatch. I well, you got to work with one of the grand masters of the fraud space, which is Uri, who I st- really appreciate everything yeah. he does. Yeah, Yuri Rivner is definitely a persona in the space, very strong, and he now actually left and started a it new company a in AML. And it, it was a pleasure to work with him, and I think there are a lot of great people. There, coincidentally, a lot of people moved from RSA to Biocache, Biocache because I think there are a lot of similarities in the approach, and Biocache just took it to the next level in, in terms of technology. So a lot of great names and a lot of great people, and... It's doing really well. My role there, my last role, I ran marketing for Biocatch for last year and a half. And then what happened was I realized that we're really focused on the metrics that banks care about, like when it comes to fraud detection, like false positive rates and high detection rates and balancing security and, and, and user experience, I assume. Yeah. How fast Balancing they, security they, and user experience yeah. and... I realized that something is missing. And what was missing is 
the human side? What happens to the people on the other end? And what has emerged as a large threat because the security controls the banks got so got to be so good and so effective, what was missing or what happened and what evolved is that cyber criminals turned to attack the weakest link, the human, mm-hmm. with online scams. And that's a vector that's going growing very, very fast in the fraud space. Also in the enterprise protection space, we're right. seeing this is why or it kind of exists is because we're seeing that the attacks stopped being from zero day and started to go after the person. Right, exactly. The, the weakest link, the human, all the scams that attack enterprise to gain access to systems and social engineering of new employees, of HR, of impersonation of IT, impersonation of HR to get data, to get access, that is the same approach that cyber criminals are taking to for financial fraud. And I realized that the impact on the human is much bigger than, than first of all, than we think about. And that financial institutions and their fraud teams don't necessarily think about this on a day-to-day basis. Because for customer who, customers whose accounts are taken over, there's typically reimbursement by the bank because if someone stole credentials and used a different device to access the account, there's regulation today to reimburse customers. So the financial impact is eventually going to be compensated for and the there is going to be a hassle because you need to contact the bank, it needs to get resolved. It's going to be a process, but it will be taken care of eventually. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that you did, but if someone manipulated you emotionally to transfer money to them and you realize that was a scam, you have the financial impact, you have the emotional impact, and there is no reimbursement today. Mm-hmm. And that hit me. And I realized that that's something I need to be involved in and I need to be part of the solution. This is so interesting. I recently, a friend of mine got scammed and she didn't care about the money. This is so interesting. She just said how how deeply she felt bad about being manipulated and believing those cameras. And she was like, I can't believe I believe them. I can't believe that I approved this transaction. So I, I, I never thought about it. But yes, the, there is an emotional toll when you are being scammed, when like you had trust in the system or like somebody called you out of the blue and walking in, in, with your dog and like you were happy and somebody said something to you and you thought it was real. Like people, that the, the life gets shattered when exactly. they kind of like realize how full I was and it's easy to manipulate people. So it's, it's really interesting. I didn't think much about it, but I'll because she went through that, it was interesting. I'll give you another example of someone, there's a very well-known scam called bank impersonation scam. So the scammer, let's say it starts with a text message saying, you have this transaction for $400. If you didn't do it, call this number. Okay. Okay. Driving sense of urgency. I call the number. Now I have. I'm talking to a scammer because I got a random. And you text. think it's the? Uh, I think it's the bank. I'm. Service. I'm nervous. I'm. They. They manipulate you in a sense of fear. Okay. So now I'm talking to the to what I think is the bank, but is really a scammer. And what this person is doing is, they're manipulating you. They're causing more fear. They're causing you to take action now. There are all these time bombs they put in. And you think you're talking to the bank. Okay, now let's say that the bank put a control that allows them to somehow magically detect that although it's your legitimate device and you're using the network elements and all the, all the things that we looked at when we were doing fraud protection, 
everything looks legit, but somehow they managed to detect that it's not. Maybe the session's very long, whatever, the, some behavioral analytics or behavioral biometrics. So the bank fraud team calls you on the other line, call waiting. You're talking to the scammer, but you think it's a bank. The bank is now calling and you. And the real bank is the calling you. The real bank is calling you. They're not saying, I'm the real bank, trust me. How do you know who to trust? Oh, gosh, that's tough. And yes. I've Neither. Even, Right. Yeah. And I've even heard a case, a good friend of mine told me that, he, and he's in fraud too, he's a fraud fighter, but his grandmother was scammed, bank impersonation scam. They didn't even go to the extent to say that they're the bank. What they told that lady, who's elderly, is that the, her bank is in on stealing money from her. They're conspiring against her. So they're going to save her. And they convinced her to transfer the money. And they, they said, your bank might call you, but when they call, just know that they're in on this conspiracy. So don't believe them. So that manipulation is devastating, and it's a shattered sense of reality. It's just like you said, it's completely distorted. It's, I don't know what to believe anymore, and it causes post-traumatic stress disorder. And unfortunately, there are also cases of suicide. Wow. People yeah. just lose their confidence. Think of all the IRS scams. This really impacted people. Speaking of IRS, that's, this is tax season. Be very, very, very careful, because this, this is the scam between beginning of March right. till the end of April. Yeah. The, yeah. Everybody has a, gets a call from the IRS saying that they failed the audit, that something yeah. is bad. Reimbursement is coming. No, no, no. Reimbursement no. is not coming. Nothing <laughs> scares people more than the IRS wants your money. Yeah. Nothing yeah. scares people more. And the more. IRS will not call you like that. So yes, they will not. There, there have been, there's been a decline in robocalls for IRS in the last few years because, because Authorities asked, mandated telcos to do something about it, and there has been a lot of robocall related technology evolution. I actually have a story about an IRS scam. I got a call in 2014, I think, or 50, something like that, and I realized that so they called. I know it's a robocall, but I wanted to see the mode of operation, so I just went down the path. I clicked one. They asked for, for my name. I gave fake information, and I gave a fake address in Texas. I just made something up. And then, of course, they found that I owe money and that and I didn't take it very seriously. So they continually aggravated the situation. It started from you owe us money to the FBI is on their way because you have drug smuggling and whatever charges on your and they're on their way now. So you better pay. And I knew it's a scam. I gave fake information. My heartbeat went up cr like crazy because the it's scary when someone is yelling at you. Yeah. And yeah. you're and I'm like. It was like, did I give fake information? Oh God, they have my phone number. Never mind, I'm gonna hang up now. So, yeah, it's very, very intense. And what I want to do in my new mission is to prevent that from happening in the first place. So, like I said, there is a decline in robocalls. Unfortunately, they didn't stop. They just transitioned to using text messages and emails and social platforms and dating platforms. And there's so many different types of scams. They're so creative. And they prey on the psychology of human mm -hmm. nature. Yeah, uh, I got a person call from the IRS. Not a robocall. Oh, a person call. A person call. Okay, wow. A real, real person. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our call centers, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they employ yeah. people. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And sure. they have ways to, the telcos have a way to stop calls based on volume. Also, you know, not only robocalls, but just, but what they do is they actually use many SIMs and change phone numbers all the time. Of so course. there's no ability to repeat and, and block list the calls, the, the, the bag numbers. So they're very sophisticated in that. They know what controls we're using mm, and they're just a moving going target around target. So like I'll, I'll give you another example of a really nice 
attack that they did. So as you know, most school systems call centers are automated. They hacked a school, a computer on the school, and they got calls coming from the school. So as if so the, the number school is calling yeah. you? The number shows up as the oh, yeah. school. The school and they went down one And parent. I know that I enter the school in the school. Yeah, exactly. that's the only, and they went the only number <laughs> that I actually answer. They went the one school. by one on, on they went one by one on the parent list. This was very, very impressive. Oh wow. Exactly. Uh, so impersonation of the phone number. Yeah. This is super interesting. Maybe we take one step back because a lot of the people listening are from cybersecurity. And I wanted to kind of like clarify this relationship <laughs> between cyber and fraud. I think they're very close to each other. They're also different in a sense. So help us understand kind of like how these two worlds come together and come apart. Yeah, and I'm happy to have this as a conversation. From my perspective, as you said, there are a lot of similarities in the techniques that are used. Mm -hmm. From an org structure perspective, let's start with that. I think that typically the fraud teams currently belong to financial institutions, merchants, e-commerce companies, places where they're dealing with customers and there might be fraud. A lot of transactions. A lot like of pay if you're transactions, not, exactly. If you're not an organization with a large volume of transactions, you care less, I guess, about fraud. Right. There, there's insider fraud and embezzlement and things like that. But right. when it comes to not what we're talking about, online fraud detection controls and technologies and, and methodologies, then it's typically for those organizations that perform tra or have transactions, have money moving around. Mm. So typically, I would say, and it really, really depends on the organization, their structure. I think in the past, it did report to cybersecurity, but over time, because of the importance of the user experience, it shifted to be under the products team or the digital team, the digital marketing team. In, and there was a center of excellence for fraud, or it reports to the risk center, mm -hmm. which is also very, it also depends on the country. It, it changes and varies. What is important is that the cybersecurity organization is always a stakeholder in the decision-making process. They're not disconnected, hopefully. They work together and collaborate to also find adjacencies because you can take a lot of risk indicators from fraud and consume them on the, on the cybersecurity control side and vice versa. And definitely from a knowledge perspective, knowledge sharing and, and brainstorming and thinking about how we tackle this and how we tackle that. So definitely advocate for collaboration across those teams, even if they're not in the same org chart. From a methodology perspective, I would say, if we kind of look at fraud controls and feel free to chime in, yep. I know you're an expert on this too. So initially started with, the fraud control started with IP intelligence, device intelligence, behavioral analytics. So looking at characteristics of the different transactions over time, what are we learning about this user? Are they behaving normally? based on their activity in the past, the types of PEs, and learning what is risky. A new account is risky, a new PE is risky, things like that yep. over time. And then behavioral biometrics was layered on top of that. So how does a user swipe and click and move their phone with the gyro and things like that? That sounds like rocket science, but it's it's pr pragmatic and it works very well. It Basically, works. is it a real phone of a user? No, or it's even it's more it's automated. Even, it's even simpler. It's what are your biometric traits. Right. So for example, your mom clicks very differently than you. Right. If I run JavaScript on the client, I can see how the mouse moves, how fast you click. 
Think about Facebook. And it belongs to you. Yeah. But what you said is also one of them. So is it a bot or not? Is it a real human right. behind it or, or not? Or is it so, automated? So absolutely bot detection is, is part of fraud protection as well. And that's mm -hmm. another connection point with cybersecurity because yeah. bot detection or bots can access consumer websites and they can access and or attempt access enterprise yep. website as well. So that's one aspect. Are you who you claim to be by looking at the data without asking for authentication without yeah. the asking the user to participate because of that high focus on user experience. The GD and Latal show will return in a moment. The GD and Latal show is sponsored by Ort. In today's world, identities are the perimeter protecting the organization and are the most exploited vector by attackers. If your security teams are struggling to maintain control of identity management tools, Ort can help. ORT offers a centralized platform for discovering, monitoring, assessing, and remediating identity threats to your business. While most security platforms can take weeks or months to start identifying and remediating risks, with ORT, your security teams can get started in as little as 30 minutes and start securing the identity perimeter immediately. ORT will surface the most critical vulnerabilities and give your security teams the recommended action steps. Start your trial today at ORT.io. That's O-O-R-T dot I-O. The DD and Latal Show is sponsored by Hunters. Hunters is a SaaS platform purpose-built for security operation teams. Providing unlimited data ingestion and normalization at a predictable cost, Hunters helps SOC teams mitigate real threats faster and more reliably than SIM. Visit Hunters.ai to learn more. Another really interesting part of behavioral biometrics is the ability to look at patterns and say, this looks like a cyber, this looks like a cyber criminal or this looks like a legitimate user. So I'll give you an example. When you open an account as a legitimate person, you're going to look for, at the form, the account will be informed, fill in the details, look at the terms and conditions. Maybe it's pick a credit card design if it's a new credit card. And it will take you some time. Now, if you're a cyber criminal who does that 50 times a day, yeah. you're going to do yeah, it very, very quickly. Only mandatory fields, not stopping for a moment. Check the box and go. You're going to also, so you can see the proficiency in filling out the form. Another element in that same activity is if you're a legitimate user, you know your personal details, your yep. address, your phone number, and you use your long-term memory to fill out the form. So your typing will be continuous. There will be no hesitation. But when a cyber criminal does it, they'll either copy-paste co copy from, they'll go out, off screen, on screen, they'll copy-paste, they'll, they'll type from a list so it won't be continuous. So all these things are, are patterns of cyber criminal activity versus legitimate activity that are not authenticating the user so much, but just classifying the, yep. the activity. So that's been very effective. But again, when it comes to online scams, there's a gap because... Maybe there could be some indications if someone is on the phone and on their device and the session's really long and they're hesitating before they make the payment. So there could be very edge cases that could be caught. But the thing is, online scams, not everything happens online. Yep. People transfer money on Zelle, gift cards. They go to the bank. They send not checks. The ATM. They go and get they go cash. And crypto. Crypto. Yeah. So a lot of this activity can't be or, or is really hard to catch. And as we said, even if technology is able to catch it at the point of transaction, the distorted sense of reality interferes with making yep. decisions. Yeah. And Lital, here's one thing that as somebody who did both of them, 
it's a very big difference because you'll hear a lot of times fraud, fraud detection is usually more advanced than enterprise security. More advanced, a than lot enterprise more, a lot more advanced than enterprise because security. money is because at stake. because the ROI also is it's clear. clear. The ROI is very very clear. Okay, if you're if you're in a company, if I need to explain to the CISO why I need to buy ORT hunters whatever to do detection. I need to explain what's the cost of a lost transaction. You need to explain the risk. And cyber risk is yeah. not something I'll, I'll, I'll that is tangible. I'll, I'll give you an example. When you build B2B kind of B2B consumer sites, for example, the thing that we built for our consumers at Cisco, that has a little bit of both because I, I it serves millions of people. Everyone is a Cisco customer, but they're not doing this for themselves. So it, th there's no cost of a lost transaction. It's a lot harder than if you're Amazon and you need to know. So trying to establish fraud there, it's a lot harder. But if you're doing, if you're Amazon, you know exactly, you say 5% of transactions, I'm willing, fraudulent. To, I, I'm willing to take a hit of X amount of transactions to, to prevent loss of lost transactions. There's a whole bunch of stuff that but goes there. Anything above that, I'm not willing exactly. to take. So, so the money and, and budgets are very exactly. clear and very guaranteed. And that's why you'll see a lot more advanced. Interesting. But what happens a lot of times is people in cybersecurity try to implement it back into enterprise security. I had a call from a VC that said, how about you do adaptive authorization? And I said, we, we failed. Larry and I, Larry Friedman, who you also know very well, and I failed to do this now three times. And it ha never has to deal with technology. We solved it technologically 2010. The problem is people. If I'm in an enterprise and I do my same job over and over and over again. I don't want to be challenged by extra factors in an inexplicable way. I don't want to get a screen of my usual system that says, we don't know if you're who you are, so you get three screens less. The first thing that will happen is they'll call at IT and yell their heads off. So, and, and this has happened now multiple, multiple times. So this is stuff that the consumer is actually more open to, to have, to, if you see your Capital One state and Capital One thinks that you're not in a good state, they say, listen, we're here to protect you. How about we don't show you this? How about you call us, prove who you are, and we'll reopen these fields? Even we know that as users, we get very upset if like you're trying to buy a fly ticket and you get the extra yeah, thing that say. is thinking and waiting to be authorized or you need to get a call or you need to approve. Yeah, consumer tolerance for additional controls. I think that... I think what fraud is trying to do, or the fraud controls are trying to do as much as possible without without user interaction, yeah. without harassing the user, without asking. And yes, there is risk-based authentication and asking for additional controls later. And with enterprises, yes, some p mad people will call IT, but I think there is acceptance that you need to protect the enterprise. So, so it's it's that balance that it's has the balance, to be. But the, you can put a lot. Process. You can top load the controls. So in an enterprise space, I can top load. I can make sure that. If you want to do this transaction, always use YubiKey. I don't yeah. care yeah. if you want to do a transaction over 10K in this bank, yeah. insert YubiKey, otherwise not going to happen. So yeah. this is acceptance in the enterprise space. And I would say that's also true for consumer, for commercial banking as yes. well, for example. Yeah. But you can't top load. You have to front load. You can't front load. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. have to front load the security controls invisibly. Yeah. I think another area of similarity where there are a lot of shared there's a lot of shared knowledge between cybersecurity and fraud is the the analytics right the u user entity behavioral analytics that's done in 
in cybersecurity, yep. very similar. The data, of course, is different. The elements that we're looking, there are some similarities. Looking like for no, maybe different no behaviors a little bit. Different yeah. behaviors and different data, but the methodologies are, are essentially very, very similar. And then it's, it's AI models will, or what you put in the models, how you manage the models and, and supervise them, that, that will give you the quality of Absolutely. Analytics. Question about the players. What do we know? Is the, are they the same, like cyber criminals, are they also the same players playing in fraud? Is it different? Do they kind of like live in the same ecosystem? What do we know about that? So again, I'll chime in and I feel free to ask. So I think there are a number of motivations for cyber criminals in general, right? So you have the nation state hackers, the financial motiv financially motivated criminals. You have the hacktivists who just want to cause chaos and anarchy and make a point. And some, I'm not going to put a point of view here. I'll probably support some of those activities, but generally speaking, no. And when it comes to espionage is another one, of course. Uh, and I, I would say this, data breaches, the impact of data breaches, whether it's for enterprise or for consumer, are then the usernames, passwords, personal data all finds itself in the dark web, right? Right. And the consumers of the dark web, who are the cyber criminals that are financially motivated or whatever, they're going to use the data for social engineering. They're going to use the data to create new accounts. They're going to use the data to take over accounts. So it's all intertwined. I think it's pretty organized there. You know where to go, where to buy. So it's part of that supply chain, those who create the breaches, sell the data, consume the data, perform, perform the activities. So it's definitely intertwined. I think for fraud, obviously, they're financially motivated at the end of the day, but... I think they're financially motivated in enterprise as well. I th yeah. So I'm, I'm going to do the, the short answer. So, Vitaly, yes, I believe that these are the same people. Mm -hmm. It's the same hierarchy that Ayelet was describing. So you get the hierarchy. I call it the shit rolls downhill level thing. I you call it the supply chain. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you start... <laughs> you start with nation states. You, you start with... You start with, the the you start with <laughs> the espionage in nation states. And when we think of nation states, we think of the NSA and their likes. But there's at least eight to ten countries... And as you go down the levels of these eight to 10 countries, you discover that the guys that build these for these countries start having less and less moral scruples. So the tool that was used mm -hmm. to war becomes a tool for commercial gain. Now, if you're- Many nation states use those tools for financial gain or exa play both. Or exactly. So yeah. then you start going into what I call the gray, the gray scale. What does it mean, the gray scale? So we- all three of us come from a country where, that loves the grayscale. They take the stuff that the military built and turn it into commercially into available lawful software. Lawful interception and things that deal with gambling and things that deal with all the crap. Adware. All the adware that we get. Now that's in grayscale. Is this legal? Is this not legal? Because they're spying on us. They're really good at spying on us. Zoom Info gets us a whole bunch of stuff that I don't want to know how they got there. So... Now you have grayscale, and very close after that comes the not so grayscale. The same, they take the exact same tool that the military has built, and now they want it to get money. There's easy ways to monetize from enterprise, and there's easy ways to monetize out of fraud. It's kind of pick your poison. What with enterprise, it's the people that usually want to get a bigger bag, because if I hack a hospital and ransomware the shit out of them, mm -hmm. I, you get I, a few million. 
dollars or exactly. tens of millions of dollars and you go away and then you drop the data exactly. on the dark web and resell it to all the fraudulents. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, so, so get the, more. The, so the, the people that usually go after enterprise are more, are like more motivated to get a bigger buck. The people that go after people usually are like the people that w- would have picked your pocket Uh, on the tea. Although I want to say that, that that has been true for a long time. I think the scam, the amount lost to scams used to be a few hundred dollars, a few thousands. Now we have a new class of scams, the crypto investment scams. Mm, yes. We're talking about pig hundreds butchering. of pig butchering scams. We're talking about... Did, okay. uh, you did a podcast about yeah. it, right? We yeah. Can, <laughs> let's plug it in. Okay. <laughs> so these scams are millions of dollars are yep. lost to these scams. So All the savings of people goes yeah. to that. Uh, so so yes, I, I'll remind you Now, again, a little bit from our history. Remember that Israel Aloni coming to us, by the way, he's now in Sentinel. He, he came in and knocked on your office door when we were talking and said, we have to secure the, the online gambling stuff. Remember when he was talking about this? Yeah. Because back then there was millions of uninsured, ungoverned money there. And it was just... And, and so Still people gamble online and lose all the saving, how different it is. No, so, so at, at attacking... The big gamblers used to be a lot less secure. The, I, I, they had like their accounts in the gambling sites and those were not insured, very much like Eldo was talking about insurance. So there were a higher class of criminals that used to steal money from the high roller gamblers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now it's, they put a lot of controls in place, the numbers are going down, so they're choosing other places. But I think what Eldo is saying is that there's, there's the, the, the people that steal from what I call the jackpots. The people that if you steal a lot from, it's like yeah, going to the hospital. Yeah, but it's, not, it's, it's, it's very pervasive. It's yes. not, it, they will steal as much as they can. Like as you said, they'll steal they everything. And if your everything is to a few millions, but also people take mortgages. It, it, yeah. People are, are taking money that they don't have is taken from them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, this is where Terrible. tragedy really comes in. But I think it's a gray area. I don't think it's similar to online gambling because I think the gambling sites, not that I... think that it's yeah. good but the gambling sites are trying to do gambling like with chance and rolling the dice and and that level whereas yep. here it's it's a scam it's manipulation Absolutely. it's, yeah. it's your choice of spending money versus no, what I meant was he, he was talking about stealing from your account yeah. when you used to yeah, gambling. yeah. I, I'm just talking about the the moral ethic of yeah. those gambling sites I, I want I want to make sure we have time to talk about that your new enterprise yeah yeah you, you started talking about the the people behind those camps um so what are you working on tell us yeah so in the last few months I've kind of think I've been thinking about okay we're my my goal is to stop online scams before they happen before the manipulation starts before mm-hmm. people start to go down that rabbit hole of the emotional you Manipulation, those conversations, the fear, everything that happens to them that we want to avoid. And just like you said, your friend cared more about the emotional side than the money. Absolutely. It wasn't a lot of money. And so I'm working on a technology solution in that space. Very, very early stages. In addition, I started a podcast called Scam Rangers. And check it out. The podcast is about the human side of fraud. And what I do is every week I interview someone who, who is a, what I call a ranger, a scam ranger, a fighter who works with victims or on, across what I call the scam life cycle. So from that very first text message or phone call to the manipulation, to the monetary transaction, to then trying to recover law enforcement, et cetera. So 
I had a district attorney who was trying to recover crypto from pig butchering scams from crypto scams, someone who used to be a fraud strategy leader at credit union, and someone who's an expert on human trafficking, which is a whole long story, but to perform these pig butchering scams, now they're trafficking people in Cambodia to actually go and scam people. So, and I, and I also talked to someone from Amazon who talked about what they're doing from their perspective because there are a lot of brand impersonation scams. So brand abuse is a big concern to them. So e-commerce merchants, I think that's very, very interesting for them to hear what Amazon is doing and take some blueprints from there. So you're planning to have technology that will help people recognize that they're speaking with, with the scammer, that they are being scammed. Is mm -hmm. that the direction? That's the idea, yeah. Amazing, amazing. I, I'm sure that fits very well also with something we talked with Gabi a few episodes ago about education. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than being aware and stopping and like asking yourself, is this true? Am I being scammed? I think just... Being aware, I mean, it's not bulletproof. We all can be scammed. I yeah. mean, yep. we have the tendency to the sense of to urgency. Be humans, to be humans. Yeah. We're humans. We're and humans. And that tendency is what they prey on. And they yeah. prey on the, the actually the, the the niceties of a lot of us. Exactly. So We want to be helpful. We want to be helpful. You, you, you don't want to be perceived as a bad person. I think you really don't want to be a bad person. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that's, and a, that's a that's a very long th that's a very long conversation <laughs> of are we naturally bad or are we naturally good? So yeah. I'll plug it here that I wish whenever the technology is ready that all the banks will invest and use <laughs> because you. like what's better than educating the users that it exists and helping yeah. them prevent it because it's not just the sides like yep. you cannot kind of bulletproof yourself if you're not using the user itself. Yeah, right. excellent. Well, that's super exciting. And check Ayelet's podcast. We'll put in the note, the show's notes, a link to the podcast. Scam so Rangers. Scam Rangers. Yeah. Exactly. So, Time are we to ready? play? Time are we to ready? play the game. Yeah, yes. let's go. And now, Lital and Didi present Prove You're Not a Robot. Three final authenticating questions for our guest. So, Ayelet... If you were a cybersecurity superhero, what would be your name? And who would be the actor, actress who will play you in the Hollywood movie or Israeli movie that will come afterwards? Maybe it will be Bollywood. Yep. So definitely Scam Ranger, the Scam Ranger. Yes. That's, that's an easy one. And I'm, I'm debating between two Israeli actresses, Gal Gadot and Natishbi. Well, Gal Gadot, everybody knows. <laughs> and Natishbi, but they're, and they're both in Hollywood. Both women are powerful and leaders and stand for what they believe in. So, yeah. absolutely. Natishbi went to school with me. Another Alliance graduate. Oh. Yes. Awesome. So she speaks French, too. Je ne parle pas français. Pas du tout. J'oublie. What is your favorite hacking breach horror story? My favorite. Or least favorite. Or least favorite. And it could be a fraud story as well. Yep. Yeah, I would say, yeah, because uh, the hacking story, I'm sure you guys talked about it on the show a lot. Yep. Uh, I was kind of, when RSA was breached, I was uh, the one who was uh, not the only one, of course, with uh, hundreds of other people holding the fort and not dealing with a breach. Yes. So th that horror story for me was more like, just keep on moving with half the people. You were gone for yes. months and, yes. and some other people, so we just had to keep going. But I would say, to me, I'm, I'm going to generalize here. I think, I think that the horror story 
is not a particular breach or hack. It's more the fact that people don't understand the implications of it. And I think all of us in cybersecurity do, but people are not careful with their own data. And how do we ensure that it, even if there is a breach, people are protecting themselves and not using the same password across all social platforms and work? And that is something that we need to deal with. And speaking of about Gabi Friedlander, he and I, well, hopefully, we're talking about going to schools and starting to educate them about these things like password. It has so to start important. very, very young. Very young. Those the minute you get from, your cell phone. Yeah. And we, uh, Gabi oh, says maybe. this. You give your... your your kids a cell phone and it's like giving them the keys to the car go drive without any training any training so same about sitting on the computer and clicking on links yeah absolutely so that's something that we want to do and i think that's that's the horror in it and i'm terrified about this this generation that is just growing up with roblox and and talking to people and i'm talking to when they're very young and they're that sense that yeah there are strangers out there and i can talk to them and i can trust them and that that's so i twisted a little bit the no, question uh, perfect. No, per- answer <laughs> answer whatever way you want because everybody answers ai on the revolutionary part i'll ask how do you waste your time on the internet how do i waste my time on the internet oh so i decided a few years ago that facebook is wasting my time so i'm not wasting my time on facebook anymore because I felt like I go on Facebook, I'm 40 minutes past and I didn't even realize, I didn't even mean to. I was looking for email or whatever and I just, so I stopped doing that. So Instagram from time to time, but LinkedIn is definitely, definitely the way I spend my time. And I'm not gonna say waste because I do learn a lot on LinkedIn. There's a community, I feel like fraud fighters are there. I just recently saw an article about coffee and fraud fighters and how much what happens to the world if coffee goes away? The amount of money that's going to be lost from fraud because fraud fighters don't have coffee to drink. So that's that's my entertainment. That's awesome. That is awesome. We will not be able to fight it without coffee. No, we will not be able. To, we will not be able to, to survive the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> coffee is a fuel. Exactly. Amazing. Anything else we need to share with our listeners? Last thoughts. Yeah, I think. Part of what I'm trying to communicate and, and to get everyone to think about is these scams can happen to anyone. And we just talked about they prey on human nature and education is super important, but it's not enough because one moment off guard and it can truly happen to anyone. It happened to me last year in April. I have a long story that I'm not going to get into now, but it's it's on my podcast. But basically, I eventually stopped. I realized they were trying to get me to install a remote access tool. So yep. Yep. at that point, I'm like, okay. But I ignored so many red flags on the way, and I'm an expert on this. I know all I know about this, but I almost fell for it myself because I was in a situation where I was hoping that someone will help me. Yep. And the, my point is definitely show empathy, but also if it happens to anyone, they shouldn't feel ashamed. And to the cybersecurity community in particular, I want to say show empathy. Absolutely. Show we, empathy. we are not good at that. Like, yeah. we like to blame and like yeah. think, poke at them, Be say this. Be smarty pants. Yeah. No. Stupid. Be, yeah. It can happen to anyone, anyone. And people need to know it that will. it's okay. It will happen to it everyone. Will. People need to know that it's okay to share and speak up because that helps support 
those emotional traumas after. It's very similar to what we say about breaches. They will happen. All organizations will eventually be breached. Right. Unfortunately, many individuals will be scammed, part of fraud. We shouldn't be ashamed. We should find a way to first recover. I guess there should be also ways to advise people on how... Maybe the money cannot be recovered, but maybe they need some Sometimes trauma. Sometimes money can be recovered, and it's important to report immediately okay. because that helps recover money. Especially Who to report to? That's so, important if people are listening. Yeah, local law enforcement, FBI, those, those are the starting points, FTC, Federal Trade Commission. And sometimes they don't have the ability to take on all the workloads, but that's definitely st start with your local law enforcement. And there's a team in California that's really trying to teach law enforcement globally. They created a blueprint to be able to analyze crypto scams and seize the money. Yep. So that mm. it, there is a lot of awareness in law enforcement that okay. cybercrime and scams are crimes that need to be taken care of. And, and there are systems to recover the money. So definitely reporting. And then there are also support groups for scam victims, which exist out there and can help with the emotional yeah. part of it yeah perfect very helpful you're doing great job so important thank yes. you excellent well thanks for joining us thanks. at this the didi awesome. little thank show you. thanks everyone for listening thanks didi thanks, a thanks we Lita. are on spotify youtube wherever you get your podcast please rate and review and share it with your friends see you next week goodbye goodbye bye